0: It's been fun uh, in this last year to read Catherine Russell's updates on her ministry in Thailand. Um, it's, you know, her being a, uh, a very fresh missionary, obviously uh, first time on the field, and to hear her talk about uh, things that she's uh, had a chance to do has, has been a real blessing. You know, when she went to Thailand, the... Uh, the veteran missionary that we support over there, Rick Caner, uh, Rick and Lisa are in Bangkok. He said, now I want to prepare you for a couple things. He said, it's very likely that, that uh, the Thai people, once they get to know you, they will say to you, your nose is so big. <laughs> he said, now you got to understand that's a compliment because they don't like their small noses. And he said, then they might say to you, your skin is so white. And he said, that's a compliment also, because to them, the people with the dark skin are the ones who have been out in the sun working, like uh, farmers, and those are the poor people. So they don't want to have dark skin, because that means they're poor. Isn't it interesting how people halfway around the world can think 180 degrees from what we think? about parts of our physical existence. It reminds me of uh, this little phrase spoken by a friend of mine right here in this, uh, in this auditorium. Your way of thinking is completely natural for you. got to think about that for just a minute now, don't you? Your way of thinking is completely natural for you. Our way of thinking makes perfect sense to us. It's logical, reasonable, and normal within our way of thinking, but it may be the reason that we have internal conflict and fail to live in the peace that Christ wants us to live in. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, please. The peace that Christ wants us to live in was verbalized by him in this verse from John 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. The kind of peace that the world gives is based in natural thinking. Natural thinking, which is when there's an absence of conflict, then I'll have peace. But the peace that Christ offers only comes when we think like him. When we think like him, we reap the peace that he intends for us to have. Look at Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. If you then were raised with Christ, speaking of salvation, you know, Romans 6 says we died with him, we were identified with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Set your mind on things above. Last week, we began talking about this subject of peace, of living in peace, and we talked about how to live in peace with God. This week, we want to talk about living in peace with who we are because we're able to think like God about who we are. And so we have to learn what God says I should think about myself. And the first thing that he says we should think about ourselves is this. I was created on purpose. I was created on purpose. And a great uh, passage that speaks to this is from Psalm 139. King David wrote this. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame, or my skeleton, was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. For your eyes saw my substance yet being unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. In verse 13, the NIV writes it this way, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I understand that there are many parts of our physical existence that we can change or regulate, like how much we weigh. I understand we can change that. Uh, It takes a lot of effort, but it can be done. We can learn skills, things to do with our hands and with our bodies. We can gain knowledge, but there are many things we cannot change about our physical creation. We cannot change whether we are short or tall. Um, We cannot change... Our ears, our nose, our eyes, or our unibrow, <laughs> except by external means. Well, oh, I know they can all be changed by the surgeon and by the beautician and so on. My hair is too thick, too thin, or in my case, non-existent. I have a friend who we happened to visit a couple of days ago. He's, he's the same age as me. He went through chemotherapy a year ago, and the Lord brought him out of that cancer. And that guy has so much hair, he could give me half of it and never miss it. That's just not right. It is not fair. Well, we can control the weight gain in terms of poundage we often say, you know, when I gain weight, it goes right here or right there, and we can't control that. My skin is too pale, too dark, too spotted. It would be perfect if I had a beauty mark right there. My feet are too long, too wide, too ugly. My mind is too slow, too quick, always racing. There are innumerable ways to be unhappy with your existence, including the current hot-button issue exemplified by a young lady who is a college athlete. And I'm quoting from a uh, news article on a website. I've, I've, expung- I've, uh, I've shortened it. I've edited it down for time's sake. She was the quintessential recruit for the women's swimming team at Harvard University a nimble breaststroker with, fierce, with a fierce work ethic and sharp intellect. But when Skylar Baylor jumps into the school's Olympic-sized pool this fall, he will be a member of the men's team, the first openly transgender collegiate swimmer in U.S. history. Emerging from a torturous year of self-reckoning, and a lifelong quest to feel comfortable in his own skin. Baylor, age 19, will be navigating far more than the usual freshman challenges. She's 5'8", 170 pounds, athlete who struggled for years through depression, self-harm, suicidal thoughts, eating disorders, and a broken back. As a girl, Baylor competed at a high level, setting a national relay record on a girl's team with a future Olympic champion. But she was confused and pained. I was a very lost kid who didn't understand why I spent my entire childhood being a boy, but not really one who focused intently on studies and swimming to distract from anything that came up in my mind. I was caught between two worlds. He isn't anymore. Though he bears scars across his chest, from surgery to remove his breasts and mammary glands and he faces some fears about living as a man he feels better now than he ever has you cannot be at peace with being a homosexual or a transgendered person because you are not God did not create you that way. Now I don't have time and it's not my intent today to address this issue in depth but let me just say this for those of you who are struggling to understand the truth of some of this our society which is permeated with the pursuit of facts and science to base their philosophy on has completely let go of facts and science in the gender issue and in case you don't know it There is absolutely no scientific evidence whatsoever, though it be pursued at length, that anyone is born anything but a man or a woman. And yet many things in lives of people push them to think, I bet I could find my peace if I was not a man but a woman, not a woman but a man or whatever i feel very much sympathy for anyone living in a tortured state of life don't get me wrong but i must say that so-called gender change is not the answer coming to grips with god's work in your life is the answer i must acknowledge that god had the right to make me like i am tall short Big feet, small feet, big nose, big ears. No ears. Maybe no hands and feet like that fellow that we've all seen on the internet who, who's about this tall because he doesn't really have any legs and not much in the way of arms, who goes about speaking about being content with who God has made him. I must acknowledge that God had the right to make me like I am. But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay? I've got to acknowledge that God had the right to make me like I am, and I must rest in God's goodness. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now this verse is not teaching that that God is your divine ATM machine and uh, you just put the card in and say, give me what I want. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is God is going to do all of the good that you need in your life. And you may be struggling with, with uh, something about your physical existence that is beyond your control. But the answer begins with saying, God, you've made me. Now, there may be some things that I can work on and I should work on, but outside of those things, you have made me, you have created me, and I accept that And I will live in your goodness, not what I determine to be my goodness. The second way our thinking needs to change is this. My physical existence does not define my quality of life. My physical existence does not define my quality of life. The Apostle Paul was a highly capable and gifted man before he came to Christ. That's why he was given the responsibility of going around and rooting out all of the Christians and and oppressing them for the Jewish rulers because he was a highly intelligent man in God's truth and, and in the ways of the world and so on. But in order for God to use him to do the things that God wanted him to do, God needed to give him a vision of heaven. And so God allowed him to see some things that he did not want him to talk about, but he wanted him to have a certainty of those things. And so he had a vision of heaven that changed him spiritually. Uh, this is after his salvation. But it made him, it was part of what made him who he was and and, and how committed he was to the Lord. But God also wanted to, to make sure that, that he wouldn't get puffed up in pride about the fact that he'd seen into heaven and so on. And so God sent him... A physical challenge. We don't know what it is. There's some clues in Scripture that indicate it might have been an eyesight problem. Could have been some other physical challenge. You know, could have been something that we would recognize as a, as a certain illness today. We don't know what it was. But it was something that, that he struggled with, and he knew it was from God. And, and this, was his, this was his testimony about that lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, all that he'd seen in heaven. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. What that means is, is God opened the door. He took the hedge down just a little bit, according to Job, and God said, uh, okay, Satan, you can, you can pester him. That's a scary thought scary thought to think that your physical malady might be God working spiritually in your life. A messenger of Satan to buffet me so I would not become arrogant, exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, in a very godly way, no. My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my weaknesses, literally, that the power of Christ may rest on me. Therefore, I take pleasure in weaknesses, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong through Christ. Paul's physical existence did not define his quality of life. One of the, the great sins of our society is the worshiping of physical ease. Now, don't get me wrong. I love my chair. It's, it's not a lazy boy. It's a beyond a lazy boy because I'm beyond a lazy boy. I love to sit in that chair, and I can lean it back. I got the little stool, and it all turns, you know. Love that chair. I love my bed. I love my comfortable car. I love going to the doctor and getting a diagnosis and getting a cure, okay? I'm not, I'm not a glutton for punishment. I don't want God to give me a thorn in the flesh. I don't, Okay? But that is not what God has promised us, and that is not the epitome of life. Our society worships physical ease, and we call it quality of life. And so if somebody has a persistent illness, we say, oh, they have a poor quality of life. The Apostle Paul had a persistent physical difficulty. And what was his response? I will glory in my weakness because then I get to see the strength of God manifest. (sighs) The quality of my existence must not be limited to those days of life when everything is physically perfect. Because if it is, I'm not going to be at peace I am not going to be at peace. I'm going to be struggling and striving and pushing back and thinking if I could just get to be healthy, then everything would be okay. No. If you could just get to be like Christ, everything will be okay one way or the other. You see, that's why this next point is so important. My, my physical existence doesn't define my quality of life. I should be glorying above all in being his child i should glory above all in being his child the the passage that i'm going to show you right now i've set before you in many uh, many times but i want to emphasize something a little different from it this week for as many as are led by the spirit of god these are the sons of god for you did not receive the spirit of adoption again to fear but you received the spirit uh, or sp- the spirit of bondage to fear but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Um, I have known a number of people over the years who have had children many years after they had children. They had two or three, and great, that's our family, Then 10 years later, boom. Uh, And sometimes we call those accidents, surprises. And of course, no godly person continues to think of a child as an accident or an unplanned and so on. But here's what I want you to think about. Contrast that with this word right here. Adoption is a process whereby children are brought into a family completely on purpose. Completely on purpose. There are no accidents, no mistakes, no unplanned births, and that is the concept of adoption which God uses to help us understand our connection to his family. Do you realize that you are a child of God completely on purpose? You did not accidentally get saved. That's what makes makes this verse so precious. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. We we take that so for granted. Um, I don't know what you know famous person there might be in history that you would say boy it it would have been a privilege to be that man or that woman's uh, son or daughter would have would have just been a privilege to say boy i'm connected to that person i i saw an article this week about the descendants of uncle sam did you know that uncle sam was a real guy and he was really called uncle sam before he ever was associated with patriotism in our country and he got connected to the whole patriotism and country thing through his being a supplier of meat to the troops in the, eight, the War of 1812. And he used to stamp um, U.S. on his uh, meat, which was Uncle Sam. That was his trademark, if you will. And his descendants are still around and, and, and so on. Great, I'm a child of Uncle Sam. You know, the great, 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 granddaughter whatever she is you're a child of God God adopted you into his family if you're a child of God what else could be that important is there something you could become that would be more meaningful than being a child of God Is there something you could become that at the end of your life, you would say, well, I'm a child of God, but look at what I've done. Look at what I've become. I I can't imagine that we would ever make that statement. If you could possess what you see as physical perfection, would that make you feel better than being a child of God? How much of a blessing will that physical perfection be when the ravages of time bring the sagging skin and the ear hair and the growing nose? Oh, you know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. Not to mention the loss of hearing and the ability to fully, the inability to fully understand like you used to. Don't delight in your physical beauty and don't labor for it. Glory in who you are now and always will be. If you're a child of God, what else could matter? I should glory in being his child and I need to understand that I have been prepared by God for his purposes. Not only is our physical body Uh, created by God, but certain aspects of personality, intellect, aptitude, and desires are innate. Now, I want to be real clear here. I can't spell that all out for you in great detail, and neither can anybody else. Whether you pick up a book that is Christian or non-Christian, and they say this is exactly how personality works, don't you believe it? Because God didn't say it. Be very careful with that. I'll tell you where I learned about the innateness of personality, and I didn't learn the details, just the concept, and that is with having twin girls who are night and day in many ways. Same mom, same birthday within 30 seconds or whatever it was, same home, same church. And very similar in a lot of ways and very different in other ways. Where does that come from? Some of it comes from God in the process of knitting us together in the womb, like David said in Psalm 139. That does not mean that personality cannot change and grow and become more godly. That does not mean that intellect cannot be improved. It does not mean that aptitudes cannot develop or desires be modified. I don't believe that you are... Stuck with any trait that cannot be improved, but there is a sense in which God has created us and caused us to be born in certain ways in certain characteristics, and we add to that the other uniqueness that we have nothing to do with, and God has everything to do with, and that is our spiritual gift and spiritual gift is something you receive when you believe in Christ as your Savior. And here's a little description of those spiritual gifts. He talks about the fact that we're all different parts of the body of Christ. He says, if the whole body was an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole was a hearing, where would be the smelling? But God has set the members, that's you and I, each one of us into the body of Christ just as he pleased. And so we understand that we are all unique individuals whom God wants to use uniquely You received a certain gift or mix of gifts from God, spiritual abilities to serve him. I received a certain gift or gifts. We are all unique. We we have birth characteristics. We have characteristics from how we were raised and the experiences we've been through. We have a spiritual gift that came to us after salvation. And all of that together makes us who God wants us to be so that he can use us in a unique way. Now, one of the, one of the men who, whom I admire um, uh, very much in the world is a guy named John MacArthur, who is a, an extraordinary individual. He's the pastor of a church of thousands, the president of a Christian college and seminary, the author of a commentary or a book on every book of the New Testament after he has preached on every book of the New Testament in depth at his ministry, at one church in his whole adult lifetime. Now, does he have lots of help? Sure. But how many of his helpers become him? None so far. There are lots of big church pastors who don't touch him in many ways. Should I spend my days whining to God about why he has not made me like him? No, absolutely not. That was not God's plan. That was not God's design. I've, I, I've, I've seen little tidbits of the stuff that he's experienced in his life, and I can see how God prepared him. And God is using him greatly as a beacon of truth about the Scripture, and, and I'm, I'm happy for that, and I'm happy to read his books. But God did not decide to make two of him. There was a fellow uh, who served in our fellowship years ago as the leader of our Northwest fellowship named Don Jennings. Uh, one of his uh, one of the, uh, the last things that he did before he retired from that position was speak here at my uh, at my uh, uh, becoming the pastor of this church. He was an ABW missionary caregiver. He was a seminary president, eventually the leader of our Baptist network. He was highly respected and a unique preacher. Um, He also had a unique thorn in the flesh that God gave him. He had a tremendous, uh, I guess you'd call it a nervous movement of his body and it caused him pain and difficulty and I think it caused him embarrassment at times but he was a tremendous man of God. Um, Absolutely unique in many ways but in a seminar shortly after I became a A senior pastor, he said this about being a pastor and about preaching. He said, be yourself. Be who God has made you. He wasn't advocating that we don't change and grow, but that we use who we are and what we are for God instead of trying to be somebody great. We are all unique individuals. Some people are more unique than others. Not me. We are all unique, and God wants to use us. And one of the hindrances to us being used by God is us spending our days wanting to be somebody else, trying to be somebody else. I remember a, a young woman who had a lovely singing voice, but she always sang like a certain contemporary Christian singer. And finally one day she just started singing, and it was wonderful. <laughs> I don't know what voice God has given you, what, what expression he's given you of, of your uniqueness in him, but be that person and just rest in that and rest in that God is going to make of you whatever he's going to make of you. The fifth thing that God wants me to think is this. God wants me to be consumed with his work, not my life. From Matthew 6, these familiar words, but perhaps with a different emphasis. For after all these things, all the stuff of life the the Gentiles or the unbelievers seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all the things of life, but you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And let me paraphrase and say, and let God add the other stuff to your life. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Instead of worrying about tomorrow, I need to be consumed with God's work for me today. What does God want me to be doing today, right here and right now? We are either consumed with the condition of our life or we're consumed with the work of God. Now, I'm not advocating leaving your God-ordained responsibilities like caring for a husband or wife or children or going to work to earn a paycheck to support your family. I'm not advocating leaving that. But I am asking the question, is your life about the stuff of life or is it about how God wants to use you in the stuff of life? I visited someone in the hospital many years ago, who, who who struggled with the condition of their physical life. And they had a very serious physical condition, the reason they were in the hospital. And so I went and prayed and went, went and visited with them. And, and at the end, I prayed and prayed and prayed. And when I was done, toward the end of my prayer, I said, God, make yourself known in this place. And when I got done, they looked at me and said, that's an odd prayer. What does that mean? I said, well, um, some people really struggle to understand that God wants to work through their difficulty to manifest Christ in a place like this. And, and, uh, and so I am praying that God would make himself known through your life. And person said, I'm not very good at that. I knew that already. That's why I prayed that. (laughs) Um, Sometimes we get so focused on our physical life, whether it be aches and pains or certain limitations or certain lacks that we have, that we spend our time complaining rather than trusting God and letting people see him in us. That's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 12. He said, I'm going to glory in the weakness so that the power can be of Christ. And people would obviously, like we do today, we glorify God for Paul because we look at him and say, man, how did you do all of that? And we realize it was God in him at work, and we're glorifying God today. If your mind is stayed on Christ, Isaiah 26 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because you're trusting in him. In other words, if your mind is focused on God and his work, not your life and the conditions you're living in, then you can do all things without grumbling and complaining or disputing. And the result will be You may become a blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Does that phrase right there describe our society? Do they need a light? The light that you're going to shine on them will be a light that shows when you are not concerned about the physical conditions of life but you are consumed with God's work. Peace comes from being consumed with God's work, not the condition of my life. The last thing God wants me to know is this. God wants me to be consumed with him and not me. God wants me to to be consumed with him and not me. Do you remember this interchange between Martha and Mary and Jesus? Um. Jesus came to Martha's house, Martha and her sister Mary lived there, and and, uh, she's all going about getting dinner ready for him, and she was all wound up about dinner, and Jesus said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed or most important, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her, and what was that good part? Mary sat at Jesus feet and heard his word. Mary was consumed with Jesus. Mary sat at Jesus feet and heard his word. She I guess Mary wasn't even worried about eating dinner. I'm not there yet. I'm not But this is what Jesus said when he answered the devil in one of those temptations he went through at the beginning of his ministry. Man does not live by bread alone. Man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Which means that Mary, Mary was feeding her soul. She was consumed with who God was and she wanted to take in all that she could When Jesus was gone from the earth not too long after this episode do you suppose Mary or Martha looked back and gloried in the way they spent their time and so I ask you a question what is it that you can't live without what is it that I can't live without It's easy to be worried about many things like Martha, but peace comes from being consumed with knowing God and walking with him like Mary. That is Woody. He's staying at the Parson Hill Bed and Breakfast this week for dogs. Uh, which, by the way, is not open for public business. (laughs) We used to have a lovely dog, and he went on to somewhere, and uh, (laughs) heaven or hell, we'll see later. This dog belongs to one of Sue's friends, and we dog-sat him last year for a time, and this year they asked us if we'd do that again. He's a very fun little fellow, He's a little nervous. You know, little dogs tend to be that way a little bit. You know, all the time. He loves chasing a laser light beam. I mean, he would, he would chase that thing till he passed out. He, he just loves that. But he also gets excited by any kind of light or shadow. Dude, chill. When, our, when his owners dropped him off, they left some doggy pain pills, which we could use to dope him up for the 4th of July, which we definitely needed in our neighborhood. Um, I, we're like ground zero for the moon launch in our neighborhood. A lot of things upset the peace for Woody. Trucks, cars. The neighbor dog behind us, light and shadows. The poor guy's panting around like he's going to pass out most of the time. <laughs> and I just want to ask you today, is that peace or panting for you? Peace begins when we become a child of God through faith in Christ. And peace grows as we think more like him and focus our lives more on him. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, help us. We are consumed with our physical lives. With our health, with our beauty, with our ease. We're consumed with that, Father. And it's, it's a challenge for us to keep our mind in the heavenlies where we are actually sitting with you today. Help us. Help us to find our peace in you. I pray in Christ's name, amen.